Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. All right, all right, we're back today with the Tactical Yanks podcast with breaking news too that Elon Musk bought Twitter. He bought Twitter. Is that confirmed? It's confirmed. He it's bought confirmed. all of Twitter, so he now owns a majority stake in Twitter. Well, he owns the entire company now. I think they're going to go private. Interesting. I did not it's, know this. I was at a friend's wedding this weekend. I was the best man, in fact, so I wasn't paying attention to the news. What's funny about it, and I know this is completely unrelated to soccer, so let me relate it to soccer. Okay, I'm going to relate it to soccer now. He said he wants to get rid of all the bots on Twitter. Excellent. So, so that means a lot of these blue checkmark accounts that bought many followers, I'm not going to spoil names. We know who it is. They might lose some followers right there. They might It might come down a little bit more realistic, but <laughs> that, that seems a little bit off topic here, and... As we always promised here, we will be reading reviews every week. So feel free to drop a review here in the podcast. Pete, what do you got for us this week? Uh, we have a very short one from My Name's Panda. The uh, It was actually one of our first ever reviews on iTunes or on Google. Uh, not Google, I'm sorry. Apple Podcasts. All it says is, could listen to these two talk for hours. Thank you very much, My Name's Panda. Hopefully we won't talk for hours. Otherwise, <laughs> people might get a little bored. We try to keep it concise when we can. Yeah, and today will be a shorter episode than normal. Sometimes we talk for an hour. But essentially what we want to do today is we want to go through the Americans abroad right now, the situation. Some players are injured. Some players performed well. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Maybe go into a little bit the situation with Haji Wright, that people are going on this hype train. I do think maybe we need to slow it down a little bit. Okay. Um, We'll talk about that. I don't know if Pete agrees with me. We didn't really talk about Haji Wright because Pete's been super busy. And then we'll go through quickly the the June camp that the United States will have, the players that should and should not be there, what Greg might do, the friendlies with Morocco, and apparently the other one will be with Uruguay. And then we have the two Nations League games. But Pete, first things first, a lot of things happened this week, and I know you you kind of, you weren't following as you normally do, but you definitely are aware um, what will be the first positive that you saw? Let's start with something positive. Yeah, I want the Pulisic goal, you know, uh, the winning goal, no less, came off the bench, right, um, and scored the winning goal in the 80, in the 90th minute for Chelsea to collect all three points against West Ham. It wasn't a spectacular, uh, you know, out-of-this-world goal. He received it on the edge of the, the uh, six-yard box and didn't go for power, went for placement, placed it in the, you know, right-hand corner of the goal. Um and it was just encouraging to see because he's gotten a lot of criticism recently, both from the Chelsea fans and even from some U.S. fans. So this is the thing about Pulisic. Oftentimes when he goes through a patch of bad form, which I think it's fair to say he hasn't been at his best more recently, he always comes back and he answers his critics with performances. And that's that shows mental strength. That shows mental toughness. And it also speaks to his quality that he has, you know. Um, and I think sometimes we've overhyped Pulisic so much as a fan base that perhaps we have unrealistic expectations for him, where we expect him to be performing 9 out of 10 in every game, 
top quality performances. And if he misses a chance or has a poor game, people start pillaring him unnecessarily. And for me, it's like, I never really jump on those bandwagons of criticizing Pulisic because I guess partially because I understand who, or in my opinion, I understand who he is right now. And that is a key contributor for Chelsea, right? He is not the guy at Chelsea. He's not Messi or Ronaldo to Chelsea, right? He's not even Neymar, you know, or Lewandowski. He is a key contributor in the rotation who actually has very good stats. If you look at goals and assists per minutes played, his stats are pretty good for a winger who this season has often been played as a wing back. So I don't really, I don't know what you, what your thoughts on this are, but I don't really get too either excited or down on Pulisic either way. Uh, I understand who he is and I understand what he brings to that team. You know, um, what are your thoughts on it though? Yeah. My main thoughts on Christian Pulisic is one. Yeah. We might've, as a fan base as a whole, maybe overhyped him to a level where some people believed Pulisic is a world-class player. And he's not a world-class player. He's an elite player, right? I think any player that can contribute to Chelsea or a team to winning a Champions League, being competitive in the strongest league in the world, helping them win trophies, he's an elite player. Uh, is he a locked-in starter for Chelsea? I don't believe he is. Is he a player that consistently gets minutes for Chelsea? Absolutely. He gets a couple minutes every week. Sometimes he starts. Sometimes he's out of the lineup. So that is the part that's a little frustrating for me. It's not knowing when he's going to start or not. But he's delivered in many big occasions for Chelsea, right? In the Champions League, this was a big one. This goal also came right after Jorginho missed the penalty kick. So yeah. it kind of looked like Chelsea was going to win the game. And then it was slipping away from them after Jorginho missed the penalty kick with that ridiculous hop that he does before he takes it. And Pulisic came up big. And, and also one thing to add to the finish, he finished with his left foot and he's a righty. That's yeah. always a lot tougher than normal unless you're a player like Messi or Ronaldo. But overall, I don't think – so this is what I think. I don't think he has to leave Chelsea. He, he's fine. He is a player that they're going to continuously play and need. But I kind of want him eventually, if not next season, in two seasons, to go to a team where he doesn't have to be the best player, but that he is a guy that you know will be in the starting 11. He'll be in the starting 11. He'll be playing every game, considering he's healthy. And I think one thing we haven't been talking about, because we're talking about all these players getting injured, Americans abroad getting injured, Pulisic has been healthy forever which is yeah. wonderful to see yeah so and since how long now has he been healthy for a long time i think the last time he got injured was with the united states right it was um with the el salvador game and then he was out for a little bit but i don't remember him getting injured almost for the entire season mm. which is wonderful which is yeah. wonderful to see if he did get injured at one point it might have been very minor nothing that kept him out um he had an ankle injury um back in september that's honestly the last time i remember him being out for an extended period of time he had one or two games here where he had some tightness or whatever but generally speaking he's been pretty healthy most of so, the season so he got injured with the honduras game the honduras yes, game. yes that's when he got injured but but yeah, definitely Pulisic over the weekend was a positive um especially considering he scored the goal that got chelsea the win uh I would say a negative to talk about here now would be Serginho Dest, right? Mm. For two reasons. One, he got injured and he's done for the season. 
should be back in three to six weeks. So he'll be back probably out of Nations League too, if I'm being completely honest. That's really sad. But even before he got injured, during the goal scored by Rayo, Rayo's the opponent, right? The other team that was facing. You saw, honestly, the loss is not on Des because they lost 1-0 and they didn't score a goal. So that's on Barcelona. But that goal specifically, a good chunk of it was on Serginho Des, right? There's poor yeah. positioning, poor awareness, and slow reaction on yeah. a diagonal run. The forward makes a diagonal run right in front of Serginho Dest. He doesn't follow through, doesn't position, doesn't cover ground correctly, recovers slowly, and Rayo gets the 1-0 lead, and Barcelona ends up losing. So blaming the loss on him is ridiculous, but the goal was on him. So there's a big blame. And then he ended up also being injured at halftime and done for the season. So that was a big negative. Do you have any big negatives that you remember this weekend? So those are actually the only two games I watched, was Chelsea and Barcelona. Again, okay. my best friend was getting married. I was his best man. I was covering a lot of duties over the weekend, so I only got to watch those two games. Um, but other, I don't know what else. Ha- Did Brendan Aronson score a goal? Yeah, Brendan is back. That's definitely That's a positive. They they let him take the PK when they were up 3-0, so the fourth okay. goal. So he's not normally the PK taker. We know that. But I guess because he was returning and everything, it made sense. And he scored. He converted the PK. I think one other negative we can talk about quickly before moving on to the January camp and everything. Uh, Yunus Musa, unfortunately, mm. uh, kind of ne- not very negative. I think it was more of like L3 fans just like enjoying the moment too much. Um, yeah. But he came in at extra time against um, Real Betis in the final. Diego Lainez was nowhere to be seen once again. Maybe he's coming to MLS soon. But <laughs> Yunus Musa, when he took his PK, he blasted it over the crossbar. And that was the only PK someone missed in that shootout. And obviously, Valencia ended up losing to Real Betis on PK and losing the Copa del Rey that last year Barcelona won, if I'm not mistaken. So it was an American Sergio Dest that was involved and got the win. But unfortunately, not this time. That was a negative, um, I think, for the moment. But overall, probably a moment of growth for Yunus yeah. Mucha. Probably that. I mean, he's 19 years old. You can miss a penalty. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it, it sucks for the guy, but everybody in the world misses penalties. Even the best penalty takers, you know, miss penalties sometimes. Roberto Baggio in the 1994 World Cup, one of the greatest players of all time, maybe the greatest Italian player of all time, or one of them for sure, Roberto Baggio, and he missed it in the World Cup final to, that yeah. led to Brazil winning it. So Yunus Musa just has to grow from that and, and he'll be fine. Uh, from the top of my head here, I don't remember anything massive to have i know i mean it was last week but we got the news that chris richards is also done for the season he could still be in the nation's league roster though but he's done for the season besides that everything else kind of just cooled off i do i do want to talk about one thing with you though um because i watched leipzig this weekend and tyler adams had a fine game right fine he started right he started and he played fine right nothing spectacular but i did while watching the game Notice one thing about he played as an eight, right? Not as a six. Mm. And one thing I noticed about Tyler is this. He grew up in the New York Red Bull system, mm-hmm. uh, which is the what I like to call the old Red Bull system because Leipzig changed the way Red Bull plays under Julian Nagelsmann. Then yeah. Jesse Marsh tried to re-implement the old Red Bull. Didn't work. And yeah. then Tedesco is more towards what Nagelsmann is trying to sometimes slow the game a little bit, possession, try to create, rather than that super high-intensity press, 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 press. 
he changed. Nagelsmann changed the way Leipzig plays, and it, it, it kind of seems like to me that he changed it forever at this point. That's what they're going to go with. Well, yeah, go ahead. And I was just going to say, Tyler doesn't really fit that. That's what I noticed yes. in the game. He Can he play for Leipzig? Absolutely. Um, he's going to continue to play, and he, he will get minutes. But Tyler's not very effective on the ball. Not much happens out of it. Yeah, that's just not his strong point. It's like, just to clarify, when you talk about the old system, all right, it's not only press, 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 but it's when you win the ball, you immediately play forward. The first option is always to go direct and forward as quickly as possible. You still see this with Salzburg. They have the quality to do it. You still see it with New York Red Bulls, right? At an elite level, that's not good enough, right? For one thing, you have, like, Leipzig has players who are good enough on the ball. Right. That's one thing. They don't want to get rid of it as soon as they win it. They want to be able to keep it, to use their skill and technique and ability to break down teams. The other side of that is you cannot play, in my opinion, a nonstop frenetic pressing and direct game at the highest level. Because when you try to go forward, nine out of 10 times, you're going to lose it. Right. And then you're defending again. And you cannot be constantly trying to win it back. You're going to run out of steam. So, you need to be able to rest. When do you rest? You rest when you have the ball, actually. Because when you don't have the ball, you have to react to what the other team is doing constantly. But you can rest a little more when you're in possession. So what Nagelsmann did, which is essentially what Jurgen Klopp did too. Jurgen Klopp was very much a fan of the high-pressing system. But then he went to Liverpool and he understood that if you have top, top players, you can't play that way. So he, they, he blended a high-pressing system with a more possession style game sort of a hybrid version of football you know taking the strengths of both uh styles of play and merging them together and that's what made liverpool so successful and it's what made nagelsmann so successful at leipzig but like you said adams is a destroyer that's his game all right even in the build out sometimes under pressure he struggles it's just not his game he grew up in the system of pressing and again it's about using his strengths is there a chance that this summer, like Leipzig is going to go, uh, you know, Adams doesn't fit our system anymore. Let's send him somewhere else. I know there's been rumors about him going to Leeds United, where Jesse Marsh still plays a very much the old system of football, right? Yeah, with Leeds, it would it would be good if Calvin Phillips left. Then Tyler would come in probably to slide into the starting eleven, and he fits what Jesse wants. But that's what I notice with Leipzig. And I'm not saying he needs to leave Leipzig because he'll continue to get minutes because he's a very useful player. Yeah. But you see they don't put him at the six at Leipzig that game, more specifically because they want someone that can distribute better, a yes. more Regista-like, and that's not him. And then no. they put him in the eight. And then when he's high up the field getting the ball, every time he gets the ball in the final third or even on the sec the other half of the field, right, the opponent's half of the field, nothing comes out of it. Right, besides a side pass or a back pass, he can't. That's not his game, essentially. No. Right, he's a ball winning midfielder and in a pressing merchant too. He can press very well, knows when to press, but it just seems like the Leipzig system changing kind of doesn't fit him right now. So, yeah. he's a player that maybe if you want to get the best out of him and become a consistent starter, maybe he does need a transfer now. Some people can argue that maybe he'll improve if he stays at Leipzig forceful in the system. He's not going to improve uh, much more. I mean, he in can that. improve marginally, but not tech from a technical perspective. It's very hard to make really 
high percentage points improvements when you're already in your mid 20s almost he's 23 yeah and and again the problem is for him to improve he would have to be playing a lot just like forcing minutes into him not just training sessions and his minutes are all over the place in Leipzig. Sometimes he goes many games without playing. So sure, if maybe he goes to PSV or Ajax that play in possession a lot, and he would probably be a locked-in starter for one or another, maybe not Ajax, or maybe he would, who knows, uh, that would force him over time from playing so much to become better on the ball. Yeah. But Leipzig, he's not playing – he's not even – he's honestly not – in the past few weeks, he's not even playing 45 minutes a week on average. So right. – that's something to say. But Pete, I want to move on to the last section of this, which um, there because there's a lot to talk about on it. So we can skip on the weekend here. Uh, I have a full recap of the weekend on my channel, too, if people need to watch that. Real oh, quick, have- one more piece of good news. Weston McKinney is back in training with Juve. Running? He is apparently running. So mm. obviously, then he still has to move to ball work. That's huge. And it take him probably a few more weeks to recover his form. But it is good news that he's back training. That's great news, actually. But before we move on to the final section of this podcast, which we're going to talk about the June camp, the friendlies and everything, what to expect from them, I do want to thank DraftKings for sponsoring this podcast. Okay, so everyone, go to DraftKings Sportsbook app and download it now. Use the promo code TBPN, T-B-P-N. Bet $5 on any NBA team in their playoffs to win $150 in free bets instantly so once again thank you DraftKings for sponsoring this podcast and don't forget to use the code tbpn and the app is DraftKings sports books yes thank you very much to DraftKings. okay so moving forward here in the video the united states will have a camp in june actually june is a very busy 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 month we'll talk about yeah. the the u20 tournaments maybe in a different podcast But in June, we're expected to play two friendlies, which one is confirmed against Morocco. The other is to be confirmed, but apparently it's already set to be against Uruguay. And then we play two Nations League games against Granada and El Salvador. Granada will be played in Austin, so it'll be in the United States, and El Salvador will be away. Interesting camp, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the Nations League games for me are important in the sense that we need to win them because you know forget being the best in the world you have to consist we have to consistently be the best in our region that means making it to nations league finals gold cup finals and winning them on a regular basis that is the bare minimum expectations for the u.s national team right so in the sense they're important in the sense that we have to win both games home and away right now there are some people who are going to try to tell you winning against el salvador away is not possible or extremely extremely difficult I think we've addressed that many, many times. So I disagree. But what's really important are the two friendlies against Uruguay on the 5th of June, very likely going to be in Kansas City. Um, And then obviously Morocco on the 2nd of June in Ohio, the official home of the national team. Mm -hmm. Four games this year in Ohio. Wait, Um, can we talk about one thing real quick? I thought it was, I think it was. And if I'm wrong, I apologize to the news network. But I think the day after fans were complaining about us having another game in the past 12 months in Ohio, uh, Fox Soccer, or I think that account on Twitter, posted a picture showing the states that the U.S. men's national team has played the most because we were yeah. complaining to California, and California was the one that had the most. 
it's just very disingenuous that they did. It almost seemed like a paid promotion from U.S. soccer. What happened, the complaint was that they're playing so many games in Ohio the past 12 months or so. That yes. was the main complaint. Not, not, we're not looking into the 1930s, 1950s, 1990s, even early 2000s. We're talking about now. In the past 12 months, they could have maybe played in different states uh, instead yeah. of playing always in Columbus or Cincinnati. That, that's all we were saying. And even, to be fair, even Austin, I think, yeah, we played in Austin too in World Cup qualifying. So that's another stadium they're repeating. We don't mind these stadiums. They're beautiful stadiums. The only yeah. issue is maybe you don't repeat them if you're trying to grow the game. Go in different places. Get new fans involved. Yeah. And during World Cup qualifying, the excuse was, well, we need a primarily home crowd. For friendlies, it doesn't matter. Where in the United States are Moroccans going to show up and out, you know, outnumber American fans? You'd Nowhere. be surprised. I'm joking. I mean, no. Man. I'm joking. There's I'm not joking. enough. There's not yeah. enough like that. But even if they did, that's good. If this is World Cup warm-up, you think that it's just going to be Americans in the stadium? No. The opponents are going to have as many, if not more, fans too. So it doesn't matter. And again, take it. It's the United States national team. This team belongs to the whole country. Take it around the U.S. I'm not even saying California, okay, because at least they played against Bosnia in California. There yeah, are but, many that, but Pete, that was a game to lose fans. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, from a mere perspective of, like, broaden your horizons. Go to the Northwest. Play in Seattle or, or Portland. Go to the Southeast. Go play in Atlanta. Play more in Dallas or Houston. You know, um, even places like the Northeast. You have New York, you have Boston, you have Philadelphia, you have all these places that don't get games. It doesn't matter who's in the stadium. It doesn't matter if they're supporting the other team. They're probably Americans, right, of, you know, descent, say, from the other team. This could be their team, too. Show them your product. This is a chance to put this team out and say, hey, we're getting better. Maybe you'll like what we have to offer here. But we're so, like, close-minded and scared and timid. And let's be honest, a lot of these are new MLS stadiums. And there is, as we've discussed many times, incentives between MLS and U.S. soccer that if you buy an MLS team and build a stadium, then we'll try to give you national team games. That shouldn't be a factor. There shouldn't be that like MLS teams, new teams get preference, right? We've seen this with Nashville, with Austin, with Orlando. Cincinnati, Orlando, right? And again, I'm glad they're building MLS stadiums, but that should not be taken into consideration when we talk about bringing this team around the whole country, you know, Stadium. give them a game. Sure. Maybe even two, but beyond that, spread this team out, spread the love. Yeah. Stadiums that, by the way, none of them will be used in the 2026 world cup because of capacity, but because the world cup has a minimum capacity of 40,000, none of them really hit it. Not even the new Nashville stadium, which is 30,000 would be able to be used, but let's talk about the opponents and yeah. less about us soccer. So the first one is Morocco, and I, I like this choice personally. Yes, same. Uh, Morocco in the last World Cup, 2018, which a lot of the players in this team are the same. Besides Ziyech, he was in the World Cup, and apparently as of now, he's probably not going to be with them unless some issues are resolved between him and the coach. Morocco in the last World Cup started off tying. No, sorry, not tying. They started off losing to Iran. 1-0. Mm -hmm. They lost 1-0 to Iran. Then they lost to Portugal 1-0. And then they tied Spain 2-2. So they faced tough opponents and they gave them all trouble. Yeah. And we're going to be facing this team. Personally, they're probably going to be very defensive in the World Cup. That's what I would expect from them to be. 
And I mean, they do have players like Hakimi that are still there that, that can play. Ziyech maybe will be there. They're in the same group as Canada with yeah. Croatia and Belgium. A good opponent for us to face, especially if we're going to face Iran. Now, yeah. with this game specifically, I would approach this camp this way. Even though we do need to win the Nations League games, I would put our A squad for the friendlies. Mm-hmm. Let the main players go on vacation after, like Pulisic being one of them, yeah. um, and whoever else is there of the main guys, A-Rob, um, many other players. Give them vacation. So bring a big roster for this one. Yeah. Let the main players play against Uruguay as well, because we can talk about that opponent. I know Uruguay fairly well. I can talk about them. And then for the Nations League, bring in guys that have played less. Uh, what do yeah. I mean by that? Luca De La Torre, that's one mm. of them. Introduce Joe Scali, especially mm. with Serginho Des being out, right? Yeah. Uh, what are other players? Maybe Jordi Mihailovic needs to be given a look. Um, Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent, bring him back too. Get all these guys. Look, maybe someone that people love talking about right now. I'm not very hyped on him, but maybe bring in Haji Wright, right? If he's scoring every game, bring yeah. him in. Let's see what he can do. Obviously, the Eric game Palmer against Brown. Palmer Brown. Maybe Palmer Brown should play against one of the big teams there, Uruguay or Morocco. Yeah. yeah. John Brooks obviously needs more looks again. Yes. You know, let Kellen Acosta play at the six for Tyler Adams, maybe. Although, personally, I would keep Adams for Nations League because he needs game time in those legs. In my opinion, yes. he hasn't played enough in the last few months. I would keep Adams throughout the Nations League. Um, but, yeah, you know, give these guys more minutes. Try to try some different things, you know. My main concern with Nations League is this. The the Granada game is really not a game to judge any player. No. It, it just isn't, right? It doesn't matter if you score three goals. It doesn't matter. what. It's, it's one of those games that the only thing that can be judged is a poor performance. You shouldn't be performing. This is a Martinique-level team that we saw in Gold Cup, right? Yes. Uh, it, it should be a game and at home, and it's at home. Now, yes. El, El Salvador away can be a tough game, right? They've shown that. Tougher, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you should go there and beat them, but we still had a 0-0 draw in World Cup qualifying, and it's not going to be easier than that. So one thing to show is get players to play that game. You can't. You Let's put it this way. El Salvador away, you could test some players and get something out of it, learn something about the players, how they yeah. perform. Yeah. The Granada one, not so much. Now, the friendlies, you can learn a lot about them. And, and do you want me to talk about Uruguay a little bit? Certainly. I, just real quick on Morocco. I have been hearing that the Moroccan FA has basically told their coach, his name is very difficult to pronounce, Valid Halihadzovic. Let me get this right because uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to mispronounce names. Uh, his name is Vahid Halihodzic. So the Moroccan FA has essentially said to him, either figure out the situation with Mazraoui and with Ziyech, as in get them back on the team, or you're out of a job. So it'll be very interesting over the next few months to see what happens with that situation. I don't know if, it, if they'll actually fire him or if they're just saying that, but I hear that the FA is putting a lot of pressure on the coach to fix his relationship with those two guys. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. They're key players, and I mean, Canadians should be keeping an eye out for that. Yeah. Now, what I like about the Uruguay friendly is ever since Uruguay parted ways with Oscar Tabárez and brought in Diego Alonso as the coach, they became a team that doesn't really win in doesn't win possession. They they don't care. 
despite being very capable of holding possession because it is a very technical team. Yeah. They, I think Diego Alonso won all four games he's been in charge in World Cup qualifying. And even though he didn't really face Brazil or Argentina, which would be teams that they would lose possession to, they faced lesser teams like Paraguay, I believe, and a couple others. I think they lost in possession in every single game, and they mm-hmm. won every game. So this is a very efficient team off the ball. And when they get the ball, they're direct and they're dangerous. And you look at their lineup, they have players like Luisito Suarez still, that if you give them an opportunity, they'll score. Darwin Nunes, that is probably the next big thing there in Europe right now as a center forward. Every team wants the center forward from Benfica right now. Cavani yeah. off the bench. We know what Cavani can do some damage. You give him 30 minutes right there, it's a big problem. Ahascaeta from Flamengo, one of the best players in South America and in Brazil. Facundo Pelestri that belongs to Manchester United. And I believe he was or is on a loan. Very good La Liga player. Midfield with Valverde from Real Madrid. Real Madrid, yeah. Yeah, and then strong defense too with Godin. Uh, Jimenez is there. There's quality in this is the Atletico center back, right? Godin now is at Atletico Mineiro in Brazil. Oh, went, okay. Which is the Brazil, the best team in Brazil. I, they're they're better than Palmeiras, even though they lost to Palmeiras in the knockout round. It's a better team, um, mm-hmm. and he's starting for them. He just left. Jimenez is in Atlético Madrid, the other center yeah. back. And That's then they it. also have Araujo from Barcelona. Yeah, this is and, a top top team. Yes, yeah, so this is a team that many didn't give enough credit because they were struggling under Oscar Tabares that was there for so long, yeah. and they couldn't figure it out. Once he left. This is a Uruguayan side that is like comparable to tier two European teams, right? It's a team that can knock out Denmark, for example, right? That's their level, roughly. Denmark, Switzerland, these are tough teams. to. They might even be on paper better than the teams I just mentioned, right? Because they do have some players that are at least firepower up top with Darwin Nunes and everything. So it'd be an interesting challenge for the United States, right? Because they might give us possession. Yeah, It's going to be tough to break their defense and... How is our team going to deal with these players? Assuming they come to the friendly, right? Suarez and all those guys, Darwin Nunes. Maybe they won't. Maybe they will. We'll find out when the game happens. What are you expecting of this game? And does the result matter to you? Um, Result doesn't matter to me as much. I want to see progress, though. I want to see progress in two things. I want to see progress in us being able to break them down, right, in possession, because that is how Berhalter wants to play in World Cup qualifying. We were very poor in breaking teams down who didn't want the ball, right? I also want to see progress in defending in transition. And if anybody is going to be a good test for us, it's Uruguay. They're going to attack in transition with a lot of quality, right? And guys like Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman and Brooks and Long and anybody else that's involved are going to have a real test. Uh, same with, well, Serginho Dest isn't going to be there, but whether it's Yedlin or Joe Scally or Shaq Moore, who knows who he's going to call up for right back, uh, or Anthony Robinson, how can you defend in transition? That was another weak point. So I want to see progress in those two areas specifically. I want to see us have more tactical flexibility in how we attack, not just pushing the ball wide and trying to cross it in endlessly, but having more, uh, interchange of play being able to create centrally a lot of different things, you know, and a lot of that is down to personnel, but it's also down to tactics. So I want to see progress. We can lose 2-1 to Uruguay, but if I see progress in those areas, I'll be happy. Look, this this Uruguay team is better than us. There's no question about it. We can't get blown out, though. 
We can't get blown out four or five zero. That would be very bad, both for morale and also for an indication of where we're at as a soccer country, as our national team. So I just want to see progress. I'm less uh, less focused on result, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I'm going to be looking out for two things specifically, and most of it you kind of covered already from what you said. I'm just going to be shorter on it. I want to see our defense hold their own against these elite forwards or world-class forwards like Suarez and Darwin Nunes. And I want to see our attack create chances, whether we'll yes. convert them or not. That's something we can worry about later on in the World Cup. It doesn't matter. But that's what I want to see and not get blown out, obviously, in the process, because if we can hold our own, if we lose 1-0, but we see our defense holding their own and we just lose on a moment of brilliance from Suarez or Darwin Nunes or Ahascaeta and we got some chances on, we just weren't able to score, that's okay. That's okay because it's a friendly. Now, Morocco, on the other hand, I kind of feel like we need to win this game, even though it's a friendly. Yeah. Um, we need to beat Morocco. Yes. And, and that'll be a good test for us to see where we are when it comes to Iran, for example. I'm not saying that if we lose to Morocco that everything is done. We're not beating Iran. No, but if we lose to Morocco at home we should start to think a little bit about that Iran game and how things can go. Yeah, for sure. It'll be a good test, especially if Ziyech and Mazraoui are not there, okay? Mm -hmm. Because their three best players are Ziyech, Mazraoui, and uh, Hakimi. So if those two guys are still not there for this, there should be no excuses. We should beat Morocco at home. Uh, and again, not just beat Morocco at home, but show progress tactically, technically, and, uh, and with some of our personnel choices. I know we probably have to wrap up here soon, but real quick, who are some of the guys who haven't gotten enough chances? I know you mentioned a few there, Scali, Mihailovic, maybe Luka. Are there any other guys you want to see get opportunities in this camp, in the friendly so, specifically? So one right away from the top of my head is uh, maybe bring in Jonathan Gomez uh, to get maybe a chance on the friendlies. I'm pretty sure he's not going to want to be cap-tied on the Nations League games. I yeah. mean, if he wants to, sure, go cap-tie him, but I'm just Absolutely, assuming he's yeah. not. But maybe bring him into the friendlies and just, just see how he plays, right? I mean, people talk about the league, La Liga 2. I'm not a big fan of him playing in that league. But we brought in Shaq Moore. We gave him minutes. So maybe bring in Jonathan Gomez, give him some minutes there in the friendlies, see what he can do. Uh, I think John Brooks returning needs to get minutes, right? He hasn't got enough chances the past few months besides, like, the one camp he had. Um, I I think those are the main ones, right? We talked about Scali, De La Torre, Jogo. People are talking a lot about Sergeant. Haji Wright, Sergeant being back. People are talking about Haji Wright. I'm all for bringing him into camp because he is scoring, but I'm on. I'm not on that hype train. He can be very streaky, and it's also in Turkey that the league yeah. is not very good. It's not as good as it used to be. Sure, bring in Haji Wright too, but I'm not very excited on that yet. Yeah, no, I understand that. I I I want to see more of Haji Wright before I jump on the hype train. You know. It's sort of like with Brandon Vasquez, right? Gets a few goals at the beginning of the MLS season and people are like, he needs to be on the national team. It's like, mm. pump the brakes. <laughs> we need to see consistent quality over time, especially if you're playing in MLS. Right? Cameron Carter Vickers. Yes. He needs he needs a chance. He's been the best or one of the best center backs in the Scottish Premiership. And then many people will come on with that debate. Is it is the Scottish Premiership even better than MLS? Look, both leagues are about the same, if we're being completely honest. 
But Celtic and Rangers are better than pretty much all the MLS teams. I think yes. that's not really questionable. But yeah, sure, maybe MLS is better than the rest of the league. Maybe some teams, definitely not FC Cincinnati. No. But Cameron Carter-Vickers has been the best there in the Scottish Premiership. If he's the best center back in the Scottish Premiership for Celtic, if he was in MLS, he would probably be the best center back or at least the top three center back in MLS. So he would have been called up for the national team. Yes. He was in MLS. So yeah. he should be called up in this camp and he should be given an opportunity to see how he looks as a ball playing defender. How does he look on the ball? How does yeah. he look on one on one situations in transition recovery? CCV does need a chance in this camp as well, for sure. He, he's a must actually in this camp. Yeah. Another guy I would like to see, but I don't think we're going to see is Matthew Hoppy. I know he hasn't gotten as much playing time at Rio Mallorca, but I think he did enough in the Gold Cup to show his quality. And not just his quality, but his mentality. Um, like unlikely to happen. I know that he's had some issues with Greg. So as much as I would like to see him there, I doubt that Greg is going to bring him. Uh, but I would like to see him. I think Sargent deserves another run out at the nine, in my opinion. And certainly Mihailovic. You know, this possibility we could also experiment with Brendan Aronson in a central position, right? Especially since Gio Reyna is out. Maybe put Brendan Aronson with Weston McKinney for one of the games. And just see how he does there, you know, see if he's able to affect the game centrally. Because we know he can play wide, and that should probably be his primary position. But it's just a chance to experiment, to see if he can, you know, be better than he was against El Salvador away in the opening game of qualifying. That was the last uh, time he played centrally for the U.S. With Salzburg, what I've noticed with Brendan is he's good centrally when you play in transition a lot of the times. When in possession, not as effective as he can be, but but again, I'm all for trying him there too, or maybe even Mihailovic a little bit. Yeah, um, playing well. But Pete, we're gonna wrap up the the podcast right here once again. Thank you, DraftKings, for sponsoring. And guys, go download the app and use the TBPN code with DraftKings. I want to thank you all very much for watching. Don't forget, sorry, not watching YouTube habits right there. Thank you all <laughs> very much for listening. And yes. please drop a review. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week.